Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. If you're a golf fan, you, you heard the name Scotty Scheffler. He's a Texas, Texas kid out of Dallas who uh, won the Masters this year. He's been on the tour for about three years. His first win was the Masters, which was wonderful. And they asked him after it was over, he's wearing the green jacket, they asked him how he's going to balance the competitiveness that he has with not letting it just completely consume him. And he said, everything I do, he said, I do for the glory of God. He said, my identity is not in a golf score. I thought, man, that's a strong, that's a strong statement from a 25-year-old multimillionaire golfer. My, my identity is not in a golf score. His identity is in Christ. And if we're talking about being inside strong, if we're going to be inside strong, we need to have an identity that's strong. And our identity in Christ is one that will not fail us. Our identity in Christ is the place of greatest strength. If I ask you, who are you? One of the questions would be, you would tell me what you identify with or things you identify with in your life. Some people identify with their past accomplishments. You know, you see the guy who's still wearing his high school letter jacket at, uh, at, at 45. Now, that doesn't work, you know, but, but people deal with their accomplishments. Uh, some people identify way too much with their failures, and they talk too much about things that they've failed and areas that they've failed in the past, too much of an identity that's there. People often deal with the past as an identity. Uh, a few years ago, Joy and I were watching a show. I grew up watching Carol Burnett as a uh, the only people chuckling are the ones right now who've seen Carol Burnett. <laughs> that silence is just, people start Googling, who in the world is Carol Burnett? Before there was Saturday Night Live, there was Carol Burnett. And uh, she had a show that ran, variety show, comedy show, ran from 1967 to 1979. It was very successful. And uh, about five years ago, they did a 50th anniversary, celebrating the 50th anniversary of that show. And Joy and I watched it. Now, Carol, when she's doing this, she's 83 years old. And uh, as, as we were watching the show, we were laughing and remembering some of the clips. But after it was over, I, I told Joy, I said, that's sad. I said, because here, here you've got these folks living with a glory that is long gone. And they're trying to get a hold of that, and it's not coming back. I told Joy, I said, don't ever let me do that. I said, don't ever let me be one of those guys that talks about how it used to be and the way it used to be. I mean, I'm a believer in things are good now and things will get better with God in the future and that's where we go. But I can't, I can't identify with my past. My, my youngest son likes to send me pictures of me when I was at Lakewood. They have still shots of me at Lakewood. I'm like, stop sending me those pictures of when I was 30 years old and and had all of my hair. I said, stop sending me that. <laughs> but you can't live in the past. Some people live with an identity on things that constantly change. They're changing. You might have been a great high school athlete. Maybe you're a college athlete. But at some point in time, you're not going to be a great athlete. I realize Tom Brady's trying to push that envelope pretty hard. <laughs> but, I, but I promise you this. Tom Brady will not be an NFL quarterback at 60. He may try, but it's not going to happen. He's not going to be able to do that. And, you know, maybe your, your identity was in your appearance. Maybe you're hot. You were hot. And now you're not. 
It's, it, it's constantly changing. Sometimes guys, get, they, they, hold, they build their whole identity on their job. And then when they lose their job, it's very, very difficult to them because that's, that's their identity or they retire and they wonder where the purpose is. They identify too strongly with that. So you've, you've got so many things that people can identify with and they change. They can change like that. Popularity, money, that can change. Cowboy pulled up in his big dually, pulled up in front of a church in Dallas, got out, walked in, has boots, his hat on, he walked in, he looked over at the reception, he said, I'd like to, I'd like to speak to the big pig. Reception said, excuse me? She said, you know, the head hog. I want to speak to him. And she said, who are you talking about? She said, you know, the head hog, the guy that gets up there every Sunday morning and blabs on and on and on. I want, you know, the big pig. I want to speak to him. And uh, this, this receptionist got a little indignant. She said, sir, around here, we may refer to him as reverend or pastor, but we never refer to him as the big pig or the head hog. He said, ma'am, I didn't mean no disrespect. He said, I just sold some acreage on my ranch and I had this here check for $2 million I wanted to give to him. She said, I'll go get the old porker right now. <laughs> now don't get any smart ideas about <laughs> calling me the big pig or the head hog unless. <laughs> Identity can change. And you want to build it on something that's solid. There is a way to build a stronger identity on something that doesn't change. We've been looking at this verse in, in Psalms. It's one of my favorite Psalms, Psalms 112. It says, surely the righteous, those in right standing with God, will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. I like this next word. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. If you're going to build a secure, strong heart, you can't build it on an identity that could change. You want to begin to build it on something that doesn't change, and that's finding out what God has said about you, what he said about you in the scriptures, what he said about you because you belong to Christ. That's how you begin to build a solid foundation that doesn't, turn, it doesn't change. It, it doesn't go away. In our culture, in America today, some of the most celebrated people in our culture are actors and actresses. And some of the most celebrated actors are the ones who they call method actors. These are the ones that just immerse themselves in the role to the point where you're watching them thinking, I, I am watching the real thing. I believe many of you remember Heath Ledger, young man, very talented, who, um, who had the role of the Joker in The Dark Knight. And he locked himself in a motel room for a month and just focused on that role, immersed himself in that role. He even kept a diary of what the Joker might be thinking. He accidentally committed suicide with an overdose of pills, but many people that knew him thought that that role, getting immersed in that dark side, took him down, that he couldn't sleep. He said, I would lay down to sleep and my mind is still spinning. Of course, he's immersed in a psychotic killer, and it, it hurt him. Then there was Daniel Day-Lewis, some of you remember him. He, he only did about six films. I think every time he did one, he won an Academy Award for it. He would just get so completely immersed in the role, he did one called My Left Foot. He never came out of the wheelchair the entire time he was shooting. I mean, they'd stop shooting, he's still in the wheelchair, and force the production staff to speed him, feed him with a spoon. So he's just immersed in the role. Anthony Hopkins. 
Anthony Hopkins did won an Academy Award for Hannibal Lecter in uh, Silence of the Lambs. Spooky movie. And they said that Anthony Hopkins would read a script hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. The whole script. Hundreds of times. And he said, I get so deeply into the text. He said, I think it causes a chemical effect in my brain. Jodie Foster said he was so spooky, she stayed away from him the entire time that she was, that she was filming with him because he, he embodied that. Now, he, he, reads, he reads the script hundreds of times so that he can reenact a fictional character. How much better off would we be if we would get into God's script of who we are? Because that's a spiritual truth that tells us who we are. So it'd be like you sitting down with, with Jesus if, if, if he showed up in your, in your home tomorrow morning, he's at the kitchen table, and he says, sit down, I, I, I want to I show you your script. And he puts the Bible across, and he says, this is who you are. And you read it, and you go, well, Lord, I know it says that I'm accepted in you, and I'm forgiven, and that I'm loved, and that you're going to help me, and that I'm more than a conqueror, and I'm redeemed from the curse, and I'm the head, not the tail. Lord, I know it says all this, but Lord, I don't feel this way. And he goes, stick with the script. And he keeps pushing the script. Why? Listen, if Anthony Hopkins can read it a hundred times, we can at least read it once a day. We can read it multiple times because then we begin to find out who we really are. Not some fictional character that gets lost in the dark, but somebody who stands strong in the light. Our identity is in him and it's strong. Great story in the Old Testament about a young man who had an identity change and a crisis and a change. He was a prince. He was royalty. His name is Mephibosheth. In Hebrew, that means one with stinky feet. I made that up. I just wanted to make sure you were listening to me. His name was Mephibosheth. He was the, the grandson of Saul. He was a prince. He was the son of Jonathan. And uh, Jonathan, if you'll remember, was David, King David's best friend. Before David was a king, he and Jonathan just best friends. Man, they had a contract with one another that said, I'll take care of your family, you take care of my family. They loved one another, just best. And Saul hated David. Saul was jealous of David, wanted to kill him. And so Saul began to embed in his whole family that David was the enemy. David was the problem. So on the day that Saul and Jonathan died in battle, same day, Saul's household panicked. And a nurse picked up little five-year-old Mephibosheth and ran with him because she was so afraid that David would come for them. And she ran to hide him, and she fell. And when she fell, she, the boy must have hit his head because he could never walk after that. Something happened to his spinal column. He couldn't walk after that. And so now he is, he's, he's grown. He, he's not, certainly not living as a, as a king's grandson. He's not living as royalty but he doesn't realize he's got a high-level connection because David's looking for him. Let's read the passage. The king asked, David asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, There's still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in his both feet. Where is he? The king asked Ziba. The king asked, Ziba answered, He's at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him. 
For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I restored you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, who was a king. And you will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and to bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. You can see this, this young man's got a problem. He doesn't realize he's got a, a connection with, with David. He's got a contract that says that David would take care of me. And he, he was just, un, he didn't know about that. What he did know was he was actually blaming everything on David. He thought David was the reason he's living at such a low level. That David is the reason he's lame. That David is the reason why he's living in low to bar. Who wants to live in low to bar? You think cutting shoots bad? Low to bar is really down there. <laughs> he's living in a, in, a, in a place that, and he's living in somebody else's house. I mean, my goodness, it's this low level living but he thinks that David is his enemy and he thinks David wants to hurt him and he's believed a lie for all these years. David wants to show him the kindness of God. And when Mephibosheth shows up and you know, David comes and brings him, probably scared him to death. David goes and probably sends a whole bunch of guys to get him and they bring him from low to bar. They bring him up to the place. When he comes in, they say he falls down at David's feet and he's so afraid. And then he said, you, you hear his, his identity. He said, why would you look at a dead dog like me? What kind of identity is that? A dead dog. Dogs weren't even treated nearly as well then as they are now. And dogs were, man, they were just like the low. And to call himself a dead dog, well, that would be horrible. I mean, how would you feel if your child came in and said, Mama, I just, I have a revelation. I'm, I'm, I'm like a dead dog. You would look at them and go, little darling, you are not a dead dog. You are part of our family. But that's a horrible way to see yourself. And Mephibosheth saw himself at such a low place. He identified maybe with his weaknesses and realized he had nothing to offer. But David elevated him and restored him. Elevated him. He took him to a place where he said, Mephibosheth will always sit at my table. He will sit at my... And then he restored to him all the land that his grandfather Saul had owned. Remember, Saul's a king. He was wealthy. And so he, he elevated him to a place as a king's son and then gave him all this land. Could you, you imagine Mephibosheth the next day when he comes down to the table? You can probably hear his little crutches tapping. Tap, tap, tap. And there's a big table and there's the king and all of David's sons. Yes, he, he had some good, remember he had Absalom. He had all these good looking boys and they're all sitting around and here comes Mephibosheth. And David goes, come over here, Mephibosheth, to the table. And Mephibosheth comes to the table, and all the brothers looking at one another going, who's this? And David says, this is Mephibosheth, grandson of Saul, son of Jonathan, my best friend. And from now on, he will eat at my table. And all those brothers got real quick. They're like, here's to Mephibosheth. And, and, and he became one of them. And then he went from having so poor he had to live in somebody else's house. Now he has all this land. Well, Phibosheth, he could have looked at David and said, all that land's not going to help me. 
I, I, don't, I, 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 can't, I can't move. I can't walk. How am I going to do that? But David didn't just give him land. He gave him help. He gave him Zeba, who had 15 sons. Whew, could you imagine? I don't even think about that. Fifteen sons. Fifteen sons and twenty servants. So now Zeba, Zeba and his son, he, now he's got a staff of 36 people working for him. And Mephibosheth went from a place of weakness to a place of strength. Man, I'll tell you what, you, you want to talk about a great picture of us in Christ? That's the picture of Mephibosheth. Elevated. Man, we may have come in feeling low, but God elevated us. So, how do you do this? How do you elevate your identity? How do you begin to establish your heart? Get inside strong on who God says you are. So here's some, let me, let me, give, you, let me give you three things today. Here's the first one. You want to begin to identify with a God who is for you. A God who is for you. Psalms says this, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. I, we used to pick sides when I played in the neighborhoods, and, and this was before everything was organized. And so we would get out in the neighborhoods and just play ball. And a lot of times the older kids would pick. And when the older kids would pick, they would pick you, you would go stand on their side. And so you hope somebody good picked you, because if somebody good picked you, you were going to win. And so can you, can you, the Lord is on my side. Instead of seeing God as our problem, instead of seeing God as the reason maybe you haven't lived at the level you want to live, I want to tell you something. God is not your problem. He is not the one who makes you afraid. He is not the one. Maybe someone's lied about him to you, but he's the one who wants to show you his loving kindness. He's the one that wants to show you his goodness. He picks you. You're on his side. That's a winning side. That's the winning side. And it, uh, we have to understand, God is for me. You know, we sang that song, he won't. He won't fail us, he's for us. There was a, 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 a guy, they were out in, out in L.A., and a friend said he, he went from Wheaton, Illinois, to see his friend in L.A. He noticed his friend had a, had a phone, on his phone he had a password, and the password was pro-nobis. It's, it's, it's Latin. And if I, bat, if I butcher that, I never took Latin in school. But it was pro nobis, and, it's, and it, it, it meant for us. He asked his friend, he said, why, why the Latin words on your phone? And uh, his friend said, it means for us. And he got choked up. And uh, his buddy's thinking, why is this guy choked up over two Latin words? He said, when he composed himself, he looked at his friend. He said, I went through a really dark period in my life. He said, my parents got divorced. He said, I thought God had forgotten me. I thought God had abandoned me. He said, and it just really was a depressing time. He said, until I came to believe that God is for me, for us. He said, in believing that God is for us, the one who sent his son for you. He said, man, that changed everything. For us. Believe that God is not against you. That God is for, just like Mephibosheth had to make the realization that David wasn't his enemy. Please understand that God is not your enemy. God is the one who wants to be good to you. The second, the second thing is this. Number two is, is begin to identify with Christ and what he has done for you. What he has done. You know a guy who made a lot of mistakes in the Gospels is Peter. I like Peter. I can relate to Peter. Peter was the guy who would speak first and think about it second. And uh, 
he got in trouble with his mouth all the time. But you know what Peter later wrote? He didn't write about his problems. He wrote this verse. You are, talking to believers, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Peter didn't talk about his problems. He didn't talk about what he was in the past. He said, you're a chosen people. You're God's possession. You're a special people. You're royalty. When you made Jesus your Lord, you became royalty to God. You're part of his royal possession. And I'll tell you something. You look good in Christ. You look good in Christ. You may look in the mirror and not like what you see, but in Christ, you look good. You look like a new creation. You look like someone who's been redeemed. You look like someone who's been forgiven. You look like someone who's never been abandoned, someone who belongs at the table. And you may not think you belong at the table, but there's a place for you there. Joy and I went to uh, this conference a number of years ago, and after the conference, they had this very formal dinner. And Joy and I walked in, and uh, they got, I mean, they were getting, catching names at the door. You are Alan Joy Clayton. Alan Joy Clayton, yes, you're at the head table. What? You're, you're at the head table. And we walked down to the head table and they had place cards with our names. Joy said she was about to pass out. She's like, oh my gosh, we're sitting at the head table and we're sitting right next to the leaders of this conference. And we're kind of like, what are we doing here? We're like Jethro Clampett. You, we don't even <laughs> We're at the head table, y'all. Woo! And, it, and if, if our name tags hadn't been there, it, it would not have registered on us. Listen, you know, when Mephibosheth had to go sit at the king's table, he probably felt like he didn't belong. But you belong at God's table. And listen, and you might look around at God's table and you see Billy Graham. You're like, ooh, I don't know if I... And you see Joy and you're looking for me. I'm not there. But if you see all those... <laughs> You see those people, you know, I, whoa, 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 I couldn't sit at that table. And Jesus said, there's my child. There's my son. We've got a, your name is here. There's a place at the table. You come and eat. You look good in Christ. And in Christ, you just step right up to the table. And the Bible says he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. May you belong at the table. You look good in him. And then the last one is this, is identify with the reality of the fact that you have help. Now, you may be thinking, I, I, I know I don't have help. I need help. I, I need help. I don't have help. No, you need to stay with the script. What does the scripture say? Stay with those, not your feelings, not what it looks like. Stay with the scriptures. Stick to the script. The helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things I said to you. Do you realize God's given you a helper? He is a helper. And not just a helper, he's the helper. You're not going to get any better help than him. He is your helper. And God's given him, you've got help. Just like Mephibosheth, his, he was weak, but God gave him enough people to help him and overcame his weaknesses. God's help is stronger than your weakness. A number of years ago, I worked for my dad. This was 30-some years ago. I worked for my dad. We had a family business. And in our family business, he, um, he put up blinds, shades, mini blinds, cornices, draperies, custom made. And he, he hired me out of mercy because I'm really not good with my hands. And, and so, you know, I'm his son. He hired me. And uh, we, 
he gave me a job at a, uh, at a really nice uh, retirement home of putting these Cornish boards up in the, uh, like the dining area. And they were very intricate and they went into a corner they had to fit right. Man, they were long, they were, oh, they were hard to work with. I worked all day on those things. I could not get them up. So I'm going back to see my dad in the evening, drive the truck back, going back to see my dad. I, I don't, he won't yell. My dad didn't yell, but he would give you a look. Anybody, anybody ever get the look? It was like the look of, oh, seriously. And so I sat down, I said, Dad, I couldn't do it. I really could not do that. I never forget, I didn't get the look. But he reached over and he grabbed his, his uh, calendar. He goes, I'll send Lee with you tomorrow. And I went, hallelujah. <laughs> because Lee was his top installer and he was a master with his hands. He was, remember, remember the show MacGyver? He was not MacGruber, <laughs> MacGyver. He was, he could work miracles with his hands. And so all the way home, am I worried about tomorrow? Mm -mm. Lee's coming. I'm driving home going, hallelujah, Lee is coming. I woke up the next morning and the first thing that gripped me was I had that job and you kind of like fear comes in your, and, and you kind of, and then I went, whoa, nope, Lee's coming. Lee's coming. I didn't have to call my dad and say, Dad, is Lee coming? My dad said that Lee was coming, and if my dad said that Lee was coming, I believe what my dad said, Lee was coming. So all the way to work, all the way to, the, to that retirement home, I'm just happy. I am happy because I know Lee's on the way, and if Lee's on the way, I have help, and if I have help, I can face this challenge, and if I have help, I can get through this situation, and if Lee could help me put up a couple of corners for it, the Holy Spirit can help you fix a marriage, fix the kids, and deal with some of the problems in your life. He is a helper. We have to identify with God who's for us. We have to identify with what Christ has done in us as royalty. And then we identify with the fact that we're not helpless and orphans. We have help. What a blessing. Elsie Fitzgerald's an author that wrote a book about because he loves, but how Christ transforms the daily life. She said this, I thought it was great. She said, if you've ever understood uh, identity theft, you know, identity theft is when someone gets your name and your personal information and they uses it, they use it for fraud. They can empty out bank accounts. They can run up credit cards. It's just wrong. She said, but as Christians, we have something different. She said, as Christians, when you become a Christian, she said, you take on a new identity. It's in Christ. And in Christ, she said, you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You got it because of his grace. But you have a brand new identity in him. And then so in Jesus' name, we can empty out heaven's bank accounts, except you'll never empty out heaven's bank accounts. And in him, we have access to all the resources of heaven. We have all this available to us because of what Jesus did and we identify with him. Christian means little Christ. We're identifying with him. And because we identify with him, what he did for us, that's not identity theft. That's an identity gift. And we've been gifted. Would you bow your heads with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one looking around if you came this morning and you say, you know what, Alan, i just be very honest with you. I don't know that I ever made that decision to make Jesus my Lord. He died, he came, God sent him because of his love. He died on a cross for our sins. And God raised him from the dead. But I don't know that I've ever said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to give you that opportunity this morning. 
Or maybe you're like I was. You, you'd made that decision, but you got away from him. You've been living away from God. And you're sitting there this morning or you're watching online thinking, man, I, I, I need to, I want to come back. I want to come back. I want to connect with the one who's done so much for me. I need this in my life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're not going to ask you to stand up or we're not going to ask you to, to come down to the front. But sitting right where you are or watching right online, if you've never made that decision or realize you need to come back and you realize this morning, I need prayer, would you pray for me? Would you just slip your hand up across this auditorium and say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray? Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, got you. In the back. Right in the back. Thanks. Anybody else? Great. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand you wanted to. Maybe you're watching online and you're thinking, man, I, I need to do this. Listen, you can pray this prayer. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. If you're by yourself, pray it. Pray it out loud. If you're with others, you can pray it quietly. But pray this prayer with us. It's a powerful prayer. It's a prayer that absolutely will change your identity from being without him to in him. And man, that's all you need. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Heads are still bowed, eyes are closed. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer. For those watching online that have prayed it. For those in here this morning that prayed it. Father, for those who come back to you, for those who have received you for the very first time, we rejoice with them at the changes that have taken place in their hearts and will take place in their lives. And Lord, we give you all the praise for that. And Father, for those of us who know you, who have walked with you, thank you that our hearts can be secure and established with who you are, who you are in us and the help you've given us. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.